Um, let me pray. Father, help me and uh, help us see this letter written many years ago as good, as helpful, and from a pastor. Help us see the value in trials, even though they're hard, and help us to interpret the scripture we heard and not to be fatalistic or depressed, I pray, when we hear those words in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in James for a while. I was planning to get through 14 or 15 verses today. You'll be happy to know, probably not. There's always next week, Lord willing. So we're going to get through a major section, and I want to focus on two fights that we have as human beings. That's the goal, two fights. And I want to show you why I want to focus them. Is Connor Prevost here? Come on up, hurry. I don't know you like to run. Come on, come on, come on. He looks great. Can everyone say, Connor, you are the best dressed man in church? Come on up, hurry, hurry, hurry. Now, this is the reason I want to focus on two fights this morning. You guys ready for it? What's up, bud? There you go. I just got him. You didn't even see it coming, huh? Now, if you knew I was going to do that, what would you do? If you knew I was going to, what would you do? I've seen you at 787. Do the thing. You'd be like this, right? But that's the, now he's ready. Let's hear it for Connor Prevost. You're going to have a seat. Good job, good job, good job. But the point is now he's ready. He has a chance to respond, react, prepare, and defend himself. So two fights come for us. James talks about it. And let's read the scriptures and see if it has weight, which it does. We saw the greeting a couple weeks ago and even last week. James, a servant, James 1.1. James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Went through that last week. James was Jesus' half-brother. James didn't believe until Jesus showed up after he died. That would change things, right? And then he was martyred 20 or so years later. So he began to believe and began to lead. Look at what he writes to churches who were under trials. Verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Next verse. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, endurance, perseverance, all those words we see in that word. Verse 4, and let that, let what trials and testing and hardships produce, let that have its what? Full effect on you. Don't put up the shields like in Star Wars to not get the full effect. Get the full effect. So that you may be perfect and complete. So that literally you might be mature. Do we know that maturity doesn't always do with years on the earth? You guys know that? I'm 41, born in 1975. Born in the greatest time and the greatest place in the world, San Mateo in the 70s. It was still affordable. The weather was perfect and I played baseball growing up in sports. My generation, and I'm in there, sometimes lack maturity. And it's not because we're middle-aged, but sometimes we lack maturity because my generation, thank you to the World War II generation who provided this, we kind of spoiled it, so sorry. My generation was the first generation, if you're younger than me, get ready to go, uh-oh, because we're in that together, made a decree for lack of pain, comfort, and ease of life. And that's okay. That's what, pro that's what happens when prosperity happens. That's what happens. It's a natural byproduct, right? I have children. I don't want pain or sorrow for my children. That means I'm a good father, amen? But we have to see what the purpose of hardship can bring. 
Now hear me, James or myself or anybody else is not looking for pain and sorrow. Don't go around looking for that. There's enough there, but James is trying to reassure our faith when we are going through difficult times. How many of you have failed, how many of you have failed at something this year? How many of you have failed at something this decade? How many of you have failed at something this life? Thank you, we're all on the same page. We have some really good lifers out there, so I got them all. Is there a problem in failing? Usually not, unless it's premeditated and it's legal. The problem is not learning anything from your failure. That's all over the scriptures. Wisdom says, I will listen to older people who have failed. It's all over Proverbs and Psalms. I will believe them in faith, and I will do my best not to make the same mistakes. But the Bible says, and God knows, most of us have to learn the hard way. So when we are old enough to understand, when we impart wisdom on someone else and they go their own way, we're wise enough to go, yeah, that's pretty much the way it goes. We fail. We go through hardship. Things we do or things done to us is a never-ending spiral in a Genesis 3 world, a fallen world, and James is writing to those people of the faith to give them wisdom. The hardest, I've gone through some hard things, but in March of 2003, it was like a megaphone for me. I was 20, almost 28. I was working as a paramedic, doing youth ministry, and you saw a bunch of kids raised up. They're all in their early 20s. Men, women, some bright, some not, some go-getter, some not. But you saw them taking on life in college and getting out of college and making a life for themselves. One of these gentlemen was an all-state wrestler, pretty good football player, and a model for Abercrombie and Fitch. That's him. When you think of that picture in Hollywood, that's him. Six foot one, 195 pounds, no body fat, good looking, the accent and the parted hair. Like, it's him. Like, everything... What young ladies are supposed to want, it's him. He had a lot of demons. He made some mistakes. We tried to counsel him. He ended up committing suicide. He actually drank antifreeze, which is not a good way to commit suicide. Because he went from 195 pounds, and by the time they turned off the machines, he was 120 pounds. Because it just ate his body. That was the first real painful, visceral trial I went through and the hardest part was to see the 21, 20, 23-year-old friends go through. And even harder was to see his family go through it. And some triumphed in the trial. And some people leaned into God and cried out, not getting answers per se until many years later. Maybe still not getting answers. But they trusted God as best they could. And others just bolted from anything of reality and it still affects them. That's a major trial. That's a major hardship. That's not lost on this room. There's 85 or 90 people. We could talk about our trials and probably put that to shame. This is life, folks. And what James is getting us to realize is we can either embrace it and fight against certain things. I'll get there in a sec. Or, or say, forget it, I'm done. And do what is right in our own eyes. 
And that's what James is getting at. And again, James has a pastor's heart. He is writing for a purpose. We will either learn and grow from trials or we will become cynical skeptics of all things good in the world, especially God. That's the reality. And James knows this. Let's go to our verse, Deb read, because we're like, what? Verse 5. So James says, trials are good. See them the right way. They're completing something in you. And then this is a great verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, speaking specifically of trials, in my case, when we had to bury a young man who seemingly had it all going, I was asking God for answers. What's going on? God gave me some answers. God gave me less answers than I would have liked. But I was asking for wisdom. So we should ask, what in the world is going on? Why am I going through this? Why the hardship? Why did they do that to me? Why did I end up doing that to them? All these things cry out to God and seek wisdom. James says, let him ask. God will give generously, like copious amounts. Like, here it is. But the next verse is tough. Let him ask in faith with what? Oh, this is Mike working. With what? I can't doubt. I'm a pastor, and I doubt. If you don't doubt, come take my office. We'll talk for a week, and you'll be like, oh, I, do, I probably do doubt sometimes. Because this, we have to interpret correctly, or we'll close the Bible and see this passage as a either an unattainable reality or something that I don't need to bother with. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Jesus in Matthew 7 talked about foundation and rock and sand and wind, and so James is kind of maybe pigeonholing there. Next verse. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, in verse 8, that's tough. Believe it or not, I've seen that one verse shouted at people who are struggling with sin in a condemning way. That's not, that's, that, that's not its proper use, so don't if you do. If I've ever done it, I'm sorry. But let's get to what this means. Quickly, James says... Hard times, struggles, they're good if you see them right. And we go, okay, that kind of helps. And then James writes, but if you doubt, you're done. That seems really heavy-handed. That seems like an alcoholic father sometimes, right? That seems like, woo, but let's interpret it correctly. It is not from an alcoholic father. It's from a good God who loves you and wants for you to be mature and be formed in the likeness of his son, but let's interpret it. The person who's going through hard times, I know some of your stories, you're there right now. You're going through a hard time. You're confused. You have questions. And then you read a couple verses alone from James and you'll be like, forget it. But here is what James is getting at. Trials, though they can produce maturity and good things, they also bring a fight of unbelief. When you go through a hard time, the first battle you will face is forget.
forget it, I'm done with God, I'm out. I'm not believe, I can't believe any of that. And James is reassuring us, don't do that. Don't succumb to the sin or the battle of unbelief. But Dave, you just read that, if I ask anything and I doubt, I'm done. James is setting up an argument for us as a pastor. Obviously, he's seen things happen in his day, and unbelief and doubting are a major theme. It's been that way for 2,000 years. If you meet the Christian, how you doing? Everything's great. I love life. It's perfect. Your house is on fire behind you. I know. I got a fire extinguisher. I'll take care of it. Your wife just talked to my wife that you guys are going through some stuff. It's okay. It's okay. She shouldn't have talked. What I'm getting at is wrestling with doubt and wrestling with our faith is part of the journey. What James is encouraging us to do is not to give up the fight, especially in the hard time. Because the first thing you and I will do is, I'm out. I was good when life was good, but now that I have some friction and tension and sorrow and pain in my life, forget it. How do you interpret that, Dave? Remember, the Bible by itself, apart from the living word, can fall short. The enemy will use it to fall short because he'll tell you, Josh, if you've ever doubted, you're out. That's not what that says. Don't ever think that. Mark chapter 9. Let me set it up. Mark chapter 9. A father who has a convulsing child, a sick child, approaches Jesus with despair and sorrow and a trial in his midst, in his heart. He is begging the Lord to do something. Mark 9, verse 20. And they brought the boy to him, Jesus, and when the Spirit saw him, so there's something in this child that recognizes Jesus, <laughs> immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. It looks a lot like a seizure. I am not qualified to say whether this is truly demonic. It appears to be, and I'm, I am qualified enough to say after being a paramedic for 10 years, when someone has a seizure, it's not necessarily demonic but it looks like a seizure. Has anybody seen a seizure in real life? They are scary as all get out. It looks like a Steven Spielberg movie because the body is contorted in ways it's not supposed to. Verse 21, and Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood. Verse 22, and it is often cast him into the fire, into the water, to try and destroy him, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion and help us. Isn't Jesus amazing? This brother just asked if I could do something. He doesn't know who I am yet. If, if I can do something, Jesus says, I would have taken that stage to the grandstand. Didn't you hear about the feeding? Have you heard about Lazarus yet? Remember him? But in humility, maybe in desperation, going through a trial that he's gone through over and over, this father says, can you help us? Can you have compassion? And Jesus said to him, if you can, that's what I was getting at, all things are possible for the one who believes and doesn't doubt. Jesus doesn't say that. The word of God doesn't say that. The living word says what? 
immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, but what? That's the Christian life, folks. I believe, Lord, but help me in my unbelief. That's the grace of the Bible. When James is reaffirming, he's warning us to be ready for the fight of unbelief and say, Lord, I believe, but still help me in my unbelief. That's Jesus interacting, and I will give you the punchline without having time to read it. Do you think the boy got healed? You know it. He got healed with a mustard seed size of faith, with a small belief in Jesus as Messiah. Jesus said, it's all good because I'm good and I'm here for you. James knew that. James heard about that. James lived with his half-brother in that way. James isn't condemning us that if we ever doubt, you are done. He's saying, put up the fight. The grace of God is real in our life when we're in the struggle. If we've given up, that's the double-minded man or woman. When I've given up. And this is what James is encouraging us with. When we are going through hard times, there'll be a fight Maybe from ourself, maybe from our own desires, maybe from the enemy. You really believe that stuff that you've learned your whole life? You've believed for 45 years. Why would God put you through this now? Fight that. Know what a good prayer is? Lord, I believe. Help me with my what? Help me. Because you're asking for wisdom. We're doing exactly what James commanded us to do a couple of verses before. Ask for wisdom, and God gives graciously. Church, saints, myself, stay in the fight when times are tough. Don't lose the fight of doubt or unbelief. Life has a way of pounding us. Those of you who've earned your gray hairs, I have some. I'm in the club. Woohoo! I'm there. I made it. <laughs> I could give you a mic, and you could come up here and tell you how life has a way of pounding and pounding, and pounding. The dear saints in the room who might have lived the longest and tried to walk with the Lord the longest, I hope you would echo my sermon and say amen when you've prayed, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Let me keep fighting this fight of faith because my flesh is weak, but my spirit is what? Willing. And so that's what Jesus is getting at through James and others. When you're going through it, don't give in to doubt. Don't do it. There's another fight. I hope we get to it. I'm cruising, so we're almost there. Be encouraged. Can I speak to the people under 40 in the room? You're not off the hook if you're over 40. What James is not encouraging us to do is to mope around and go, I just got it so hard. Oh. <gasps> Twitter's been down for four hours. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, uh, I can't get my thoughts out. Go talk to someone. Me too. I love Twitter. Get all my sports and info there. It's crazy how good it is, but it's going bankrupt soon, so I hope you don't work for it. No, it's not, but anyways. It's, it's hitting the ceiling. Information. So for us younger ones, let's not mope around and say how bad we have it, and I'll get to the main reason why, why it's targeted to us in some ways. I'm not really young anymore. But let's fight the fight of faith and push doubt away 
And in the midst of our hardships, remember the words of James and the words of our Lord to this Father and throughout all the scriptures, which is belief. We are not responsible for the sum of all belief. We are responsible to place our faith in Christ and try and obey and pursue him today. James actually tells us you will have a stronger faith as you fight the fate of doubt and endure trials than when you did before you started. When you fail, do you guys ever learn anything? Maybe not just in church, but at work, relationally, sports, and you are a better whatever because of your failure if we learned, right? James says, press on. Fight that struggle, wrestle with that doubt, and come through. By grace given, we are given the ability to endure and to make it through these trials. If we mope around in our struggles and lament our great trial, that looks a lot more like the double-minded man because we are walking around as practical atheists. Remember we went through that in the Sermon on the Mount? Don't be a practical atheist. But if we're in the fight, if we wrestle with these struggles, if we're trusting God, if we're relying on his grace and asking him for wisdom, if we're praying, if we're attempting to read the scriptures and obey Christ, if we are in the best of our ability being honest to get accountability and encouragement, we are in the fight. Ultimately, part of James' admonition here, I hit it earlier, was stop pretending. And we'll get there in a sec why it's so easy for people in this technology world to pretend. Verse 9, James 1.9. This is interesting too, but we've got to see it for what it is. Remember, James is writing, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich man in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises in its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. Anybody remember Isaiah? So also will the rich man fade in the midst of his pursuits. Jesus really echoed that in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me try and get through this. It's hard to get through this on the West Coast in America because we are all pretty well off considered globally. And this isn't per se about rich, riches and Non-riches, James gets to that later, talking about special treatment in the church. But let's see what James has for us in the next few moments. James puts up fight number two. First fight, battle against doubt and unbelief. James goes through that. This fight is about comparing our lives to other people. And I'll try and get through there. It's attributed to Teddy Roosevelt, but I think someone else said it before him. What is it? The comparison is the thief of joy. That's great. And there's, it scratches the surface here, but there's more. So let's see it. A study came out. It was, it was printed in August in Forbes and maybe the Fortune magazines. Instagram leads to depression. August 2016. If you're not familiar with Instagram, let me give you some context. I have one. It's an app or a website where you post pictures 
And here's my friend from middle school and her son. It's pretty cute, right? Her son's beautiful. And people follow you, you follow people, and you can type comments or you can like pictures. Um, your pastor is a nerd. I have 359 likes, or sorry, 351 followers, 359 followers, 359 people follow me. Taylor Swift has like how many? 90 million? A lot. Okay, so now it's a marketing tool and everything else happens. But studies show that sites like Instagram and even Facebook and others, I won't get into in church, can lead to depression. Why would I be talking about this in James chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11? Let me set the scene for pastor sometimes. I'm not proud of this. We have a nice TV. I will watch football sometimes, like yesterday. Oh, gosh, I'm really coming forth now today. For seven and a half hours. I won't clap. Bless you, sister. Bless you, bless you, bless you. That's good. Then... I'll eat things I shouldn't eat and not get out of my Under Armour sweatpants all day. And then to make it a little more plausible, I'll go do the same thing with my father-in-law. So, we're both <laughs> so that's good. I got, some, I, got some, I got some company in that, right? With my daughters. And one of them, the smart one, doesn't like football. The one who's just like me loves football. And the baby, we're not sure. So we'll see with the way that, that scale tips. Okay? So I have a vested interest in the game. I'm a football fan. I was rooting for one team in particular, but it's not going to change my life. But I like football. We all get there, right? You put in your idol. Okay, now I'll put you on trial. No. Then I go home and talk to my wife, and before bed sometime, I look through my Instagram feed, and I go, wow, that's a good-looking couple. Oh, my gosh, their kids are amazing. Wow, they're really talented at music. I don't even know what a D chord, is it a D chord or a D note? I don't even know. Well, they're really in good shape. And he's older than me. Oh, that's a throwaway. Shouldn't have posted that picture. I'm judging right there. But we do all these things. And what happens is when I'm in a trial, which is almost all the time, it just depends how big they are, right? I then have a propensity to, after doing nothing productive, except trying to raise my kids, love them, treat them with compassion, there's some productivity in that. I then start comparing my life, becoming bitter, self-loathing, and become angry at all the people I follow online. It is heightened when things are not going good in my life. And I'm further thrown into my own issues. Now, when things are going great, it's not as bad. But when I'm going through it, I start to compare in my own heart. Let me show you how whacked my heart is. Father, I'm a pastor. I try and get by. I try and help people. And they're winning life. And they're not following you. And I know their heart. And I know he cheated on her last year or whatever we do in our minds, because we know things. And I go further into my own issues, and anger and resentment build, and I start to live not the life that Jesus commanded us in the Sermon on the Mount. I start to live outside that life on the broad road, and then my relationship with her suffers. 
my relationship with her suffers, you guys, my kids, and everything else because I am succumbing to the second fight of comparison James warns against. I am comparing. I'm first comparing them, and I'm not supposed to, and I'm becoming jealous and envious or judgmental or all the things that we do. Now, none of us do it. We just think it on our phones, so I know I'm with you. And then I start debating with God. And I'm bigger and louder, so sometimes God impresses upon my heart, please be quiet, or I will heighten the pressure. Not really, he doesn't audibly say that, but that's the impression. In Old Testament passages that were written for mostly me are in there, like the ones in Job, when Job is answered in the storm and he goes, I'll just put my hand over my mouth now. You're good, I understand. After four tongue lashings, I get it. But what James is encouraging churches back then and Christians now to do is to battle hard against the, the doubt and the shame that it can kind of bring. Just stay in the fight. Seek wisdom. Get into the scriptures. Get accountability. Keep walking this walk. And the second battle he wants us to see is comparing. That was the rich, yeah, poor. What's James' point? Why are you comparing? We're all gone in 100 years. That's what he's saying. Just as the sun rises on the grass in the summer or spring, it will scorch it, and by fall it will be used for to keep a house warm. So what James is saying is stay in these fights. Don't succumb. This is a lifelong battle. Let me give you the lowdown on Christianity in two minutes. If you think it is a faith where you pray a prayer and life's an easy street, I'll have coffee with you, I'll go to the Niner game with you, I'll play golf with you, we'll hang out, but I can't disciple you because that's not what the Bible promises. The Bible promises that we place our faith in Christ and we're transformed and we have a new heart and we start to lean over time to new ways. And when trials come, under the teaching of our Lord Jesus, the epistles that were written, all the canon of scripture, and from the saints, the church, we stay in the fight. Ultimately, the worst thing that can happen in trials is your doubt turns to unbelief and your unbelief turns to apostasy. You don't believe anymore and you're gone. I've seen it happen. And ultimately, in the fight versus comparison, we are thrown into a deep depression that can spiral out of control in many ways. And we can all get lots of kind of help for that, but those are the fights James is encouraging us to stand strong. As we go out today, fight the fight, folks. Battle the doubt and unbelief and battle it with the gospel, the goodness of God in Jesus Christ that he came and lived and died and rose so we could walk as human beings, real human beings, so we could go the extra mile because we're not bound by an American law or a San Mateo County law or a heterosexual law or a homosexual law, whatever you want to say. I am bound by the law of love, and I am bound by grace, and I'll do what my Lord wants me to do, which is love him and love other people and leave the rest to the pastor. Just kidding but to our God. And when that comparison time comes, maybe to my younger folk in the crowd, let's battle it this week. You're good. 
You do you. I'll do me. Fight the fight. Be salt light. Let's stand as we close in prayer. We'll get to the rest in James. I was going to get there this week, but then James talks about how God gives us good gifts. And when we have the right perspective, even in trials, we see things as good gifts, right? Amazing gifts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these folks. Thank you for the smiles and even the tears. Thank you for the hard times, for they have a purpose. Give us the grace to battle well this week and for the weeks to come when we struggle and wrestle with doubt. Give us the grace to lean more into Jesus and also give us the grace this week to battle the comparison game. As we go, bless us and keep us. May your face shine upon us all the days of our life. And again, we pray for Melanie and Dave. Comfort them now and may we celebrate a life well lived this Saturday. In Jesus' name, amen.